And now, The Federal Drive with Tom Temin on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, underwritten by Impress Technology Solutions and Dell EMC. Hello and thanks for joining us on this Thursday, May 9th, 2019, six minutes past the hour. I'm Tom Temin. Our producers are Lauren Larson and Eric White, our digital editors, Amelia Brust and David Thornton. Coming up in this hour of The Federal Drive, what FAA oversight of airlines looks like to people who deal with it every day. Plus, the new Space Development Agency director has bold plans for how the military does business upstairs. Those stories and much more ahead during this hour of The Federal Drive. But first, the Technology Modernization Fund has greenlit a handful of agency projects looking to overhaul their IT architecture or services. But the money's a little tighter this year. Congress approved $25 million for the fund in fiscal 2019, and that's down from $100 million the year before. But the General Services Administration says the fund can still build modernization momentum elsewhere in government. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has more. The Technology Modernization Fund is a little bit like Shark Tank for government IT. Everyone who signs up wants someone to invest in their idea, but first they have to answer some tough questions before getting the go-ahead. Alan Thomas is the commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. He's also one of the members of the board that oversees the fund. Speaking at this week's BMC Exchange Conference, Thomas gave some advice for agencies looking to seek a loan from the fund. In its first year, the TMF board received nearly 50 proposals and awarded $100 million on projects. Those projects include enterprise email migration at the Energy Department, modernizing the program language at HUD's core business systems, and consolidating payroll services at GSA. But despite the excitement of TMF funding these proposals, Thomas said the fund can't support every IT modernization project in government. We're not naive enough to think that you're going to transform and modernize the whole federal government with $100 million. It's not enough, right? So the goal was to pick a cross-section of projects that we thought would have broad applicability across the agencies and kind of serve as leading lights, if you will, or examples, right? And if we can invest some money in those and do those properly, it could be something that the agencies could follow with their own money. For agencies looking to submit plans this year, Thomas said agencies need to build benchmarks into their proposals. That's not just to keep the project on track. It also helps the board know when it's time to pull out of a project that's not working out well. Part of the board's responsibility is to conduct quarterly reviews on the projects that we invest in and make sure that things are going as planned. And if they're not, then we haven't sort of put all our chips in on the table, right? We've got some powder in reserve. As a second rule of thumb, Thomas said agencies should make sure their proposals focus on value creation and cost savings, considering that the board expects agencies to pay back their TMF loan through the cost savings that they've achieved. The TMF is a loan. It is not a grant. There's a pretty stringent payback provision in the law. And so as we worked with the agencies that submitted projects, we really got them to think about Are you going to reduce O&M costs in the future? Are you going to, in some way, shape, or form, avoid labor costs and apply those elsewhere? So you've got to really think about generating real savings because the fund expects to get paid back. It's in the law. Finally, Thomas urged agencies to coordinate internally on proposals before submitting them. Here, Thomas discusses an agency that didn't do that. So I will not name names, but we did get a flurry of eight proposals from a single agency that came from all different sort of, you know, departments or bureaus within the agency. I will say that as a board, when we got those in, we looked at those and we saw a couple of common themes or commonalities across those proposals. We sent them all back and we said, why don't you all uh, talk internally? And they actually came back then with a single proposal that we think has a pretty good chance of getting funded. But we did see a number of instances like that where agencies 
bureaus and kind of silos within agencies are still operating right in a very uh, individual fashion and not coordinated. But the Federal Acquisition Service has its own IT modernization needs. One of its internal systems, FSS-19, will soon turn 40 years old, and it's built with older programming languages that aren't part of the contemporary IT curriculum at most universities. There's a lot of COBOL and a lot of Power Builder and a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't, don't even know about. So we have a lot of, lot of legacy applications, and many of them are what I would call task-based. So they were built at a point in time to solve a specific problem and then kind of integrated in some way, shape, or form into the environment. I liken it to everyone has a closet like that in their house, right, that sort of accumulates stuff over time. That's a little bit how I feel with our, with our IT systems. But there's momentum elsewhere in IT modernization. NASA last month awarded its first task order to CenturyLink under GSA's Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS, contract. Thomas gave a shout-out to NASA Chief Information Officer Renee Wynn and her colleagues for a job well done. NASA made the first award on EIS, and kind of a miracle, it did not get protested. I asked yesterday, is it that, did that thing get protested? And somebody said, nope, it's kind of made it through, it's through the protest period. So uh, congratulations to Renee and the team for doing that. NASA has also taken big steps toward cloud adoption. The agency has more than five petabytes in the cloud and is in the process of standing up a cloud office... To do that, it enlisted help from its science mission directorate, one of its biggest creators of data. Right now, Wynn estimated that the agency has about 20% of its systems in the cloud and about 80% in traditional servers. To get a sense of how much data NASA produces, Wynn said some of its missions will put out 45 petabytes of data each year. But for all the innovation, Wynn said some of its older data will still stay on-premises. There's a part of NASA that will always keep its data right where it is because cost of changing that data to be more cloud friendly, I'd rather just keep bringing on cloud services and looking towards our particular future and allowing us to use and grow our future business more in the cloud than necessarily converting some of our history to the cloud. Wynne categorized NASA's approach to cloud as software as a service and laid out why that's the approach the agency went with. What we want to do is lay out the software as a service. You come use the software that we put out there to do whatever it is that you need to do. This makes it easier for us to manage cybersecurity, to manage data sprawl, and it makes it easier when we have to migrate off that platform to the next platform. Because we used to look at IT as we would just get there and stay. We're not staying anymore because there's upgrades, there's new capabilities, and we want to make decisions that NASA thinks is best for ourselves and our partners. In order to prioritize what gets moved to the cloud and when, NASA relies on its Cloud Access Security Broker, or CASB. That tool gives NASA a better understanding of what's on its network and how much bandwidth is available. It also helps keep track of what subscription services and licenses are about to expire. That CASB tool came in handy when it highlighted subscription services that were about to expire during the government shutdown that ended in January. Here, Wynn gives an overview of what happened next. We had no way to pay. We couldn't enter into new contracts, and our subscription services were running out. Fortunately, thanks to the private sector being willing to take a risk with NASA, they signed on and said, you can keep your subscription. I'll trust you to pay. I wouldn't trust me to pay. We just didn't have funding for six weeks. But thank you very much for taking on that risk. We appreciate it because it allowed us to continue to use our software for those missions that were operational. It allowed us to keep our monitoring tools going. 
to make sure that we could protect the United States of America and our astronauts that were on space station at that time. They did not go on furlough, just in case you weren't wondering about that. Amid NASA's push to figure out what data does get moved to the cloud, Wynn said that it's focusing on pushing out satellite data to partners like NOAA to give communities in the path of a hurricane a better sense of whether that hurricane will actually hit them. Those images are really, really helpful, especially during a natural disaster. And when those images get sharper, you can actually change the economic devastation of a hurricane. Jory Heckman, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Still ahead on Federal News Radio, the new Space Development Agency director has bold plans for how the military does business upstairs. It's the Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com vision.